0: What I had to realize is that a, a mother is going to know far more about their child than I ever could, even if I met with their child a hundred times in a hundred sessions. And unless her perspective and mine are joined, there's not the ability to apply any expertise that I have to the situation in a way that's really going to be fitting.
1: Hello, and welcome to And If Love Remains. I am very pleased to have with us um, a special guest, Eric J. Epstein. Um, Eric has worked in social enterprise, theater, organizational consulting, education, and a range of health capacities. Um, And these experiences have brought him closer to relationship with people in many walks of life. Um, And so his, his, his writing does honor those on the edges of life. And uh, those that cross dividing lines in order to find meaningful ways to bring light into dark places. Um, he has written a book called A Walk with Lady Wisdom that we're going to talk about. And he's also has a new book coming out um, that is a quasi children's story, but it can be, um, can be loved by children and adults alike and has, a, has great meaning to it called The Chameleon and the Eagle that we'll get into. But um, I first of all, I just like to welcome um, Eric to the show. Welcome to "And If Love Remains." Thanks, Mike. It's it's wonderful to have you. Um, let's start a little bit with a little bit of background. How did you like? Where where did you grow up? How did you get into the field that you're doing now? Give us a little bit a taste of, of what Eric is Eric Epstein's all about.
0: Well, that's not a simple question. Uh, because- <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get an easy road for my life. Um, I, uh, I started with uh, a zeal for learning when I was young that kind of made me ask questions that made people sometimes feel uncomfortable. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. And so I started to ask questions in business and was in the business field for a while and was curious about how to make organizations run better. And I then became a teacher and uh, asked questions with students and tried to find ways to learn and learn more effectively and learn creatively and um And then I transitioned into health and mental health, and um largely because there were members of my family that were struggling, and the typical solutions didn't work and so I think a lot of times these uh traveling between fields were because I had questions that needed to be answered. That's interesting. That's very interesting.
1: And, and, uh, um, and so you've, you've worked a lot in, um, in mental, mental health and, and, and counseling um, and your, your book, A Walk With Lady Wisdom kind of delves a lot into that. Um, talk a little bit about, about your book and, and, and kind of what was the purpose in you writing
0: it? Well, I was inspired initially because uh, I kept being asked the question, what are you doing? Um, (laughs) And uh, this was by people who I was working with or clients, and it was actually usually positive, like what's happening to me and you is not- Like
1: why are people having success or or getting good results kind of a thing? Yeah,
0: And they would try to fit what was happening into a framework that they were used to, like traditional psychological counseling and, um, and it wouldn't fit. Um, and so I had to ask myself that question, why is this working? What's different? Uh, because I had picked up methods from, uh, the people that I'd worked with over the years and I hadn't intentionally tried to explain what they were. And, um, as I started asking people who knew me, like, what is my style? What is, what is it that I'm doing? Um, these six women's stories and answers were the most powerful and so that um allowed me to kind of deeply enter into their stories and how they overlapped with mine and also uh in exploring wisdom and why wisdom in many cultures was seen as a woman and potentially the link between um, female perspectives and learning and wisdom oh that's interesting that's really interesting, and and um,
1: yeah, and I want to get into those stories, and specifically, um, you know, why you used women's stories because I think that there's some powerful. I mean, the things you mentioned is is powerful, but I think talking about why um, those stories and and the 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 experience that um, a woman has can be beneficial to to understanding. Um, but I, one of the things you mentioned to me was this idea of um, excuse me, uh, reciprocal reciprocal dignity. And talk about that. What is that principle and what do you mean by that?
0: Yeah, so um, when my children and family members were entering into uh, health systems and education systems and were often not getting what they needed, one thing my wife and I found that was often an early indicator was if the person we were meeting with Uh, identified as an expert, Um, if they thought they knew a lot of the answers already, they often were not curious enough to enter into our story enough for us to teach them and them to teach us and to start a cycle where we're actually both benefiting each other. Um, And that was an early, uh, I guess, educational experience that uh, showed me as I worked as a teacher and as a counselor, that oftentimes I had to value what I was given by the people I was with, um, or I would not be able to offer them things that would fit their ways of thinking or fit their lives. And when this reciprocal process began, often students were teaching me as much as I was teaching them. Uh, Clients were teaching me as much as I was teaching them. And it was like we were building each other up in a cycle that got better and better over time instead of um, one way and ending at a certain period. That's interesting.
1: That's, that's really interesting. And, um, and, uh, as you were speaking, uh, that, that reminded me of a, of a story or uh, a movie I saw, um, <laughs> and I hope it applies, um, to is a movie called Lorenzo's oil. And the, the, the story is somewhat of a, of a father who, um, whose, whose, uh, son was physically ill significantly ill and, they, and um, was n- not processing food properly. And I, I, I don't remember all the details. What I do remember is that he took it upon himself. He, he was getting all the wrong answers from anything the experts were telling him was, was not working. And so he bucked the system and, uh, and, and tried, to, tried to figure out his own answers and do his own research and, and, and try to figure out what was really happening because the most important thing to him was his son. Right. And, uh, and, and made discoveries that, you know, re- that, that actually have helped people now because, um, they, they discovered that everything they were doing was wrong. My point is, it's interesting to me that, that somebody, um, you know, it sounds like with, with, you know, the things that were going on with your, with your children or with your family, um, kind of, um, you seem to realize that, that things weren't working and and that you had to find another way to get the results that you needed.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's a good illustration because what I had to realize is that a a mother is going to know far more about their child than I ever could, even if I met with their child a hundred times in a hundred sessions. And unless her perspective and mine are joined, there's not the ability to apply any expertise that I have to the situation in a way that's really going to be fitting. Um, and I think that that's true, you know, um, with, uh, the, the artist who did the cover of a walk with lady wisdom, um, you know, she, when I met her, she was a teenager and really struggling. And then I reconnected with her later in life and she was having some pretty heavy struggles and it would be easy to kind of say, uh, her life was sort of going in bad directions and to miss the value of her life. But um, in the forward of the book, she really shows how our relationship at the, both of those times was very respectful and drew out things from her and from me that bore fruit over time and then became this beautiful piece of art, which we both worked on. And I didn't have any art skill but I had a heart for this, for her story. And um, she had this amazing skill and needed some inspiration to create this art piece. And so uh, it's a it's a great example of this culmination of uh, both of our gifts being brought together and creating something better than either of us could have made by ourselves.
1: Oh, that's, that's wonderful. And it is a beautiful illustration. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I would recommend um, you know, everybody go I think this is a, an interesting book that that um that I think a lot of people can gain so much from. It's called A Walk with Lady Wisdom. Um the illustration is beautiful. Um, and uh and 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 just before we get into that, I wanted to ask you one other thing that, that you mentioned in that kind of our pre-discussion. You talked about um how this idea was the gateway to wisdom. And and I think you spoke a little bit of it that that um, really, unless, unless you as the, you know, the expert or the, the person with, with some sort of knowledge and, and the, the person that, you know, whether it's a, that's a parent or the, or the, the uh, patient or whoever you're working with, um, unless you're in total alignment, um, it doesn't work. Is, is that what you mean when you say the, it's the gateway to wisdom?
0: Well, what I learned is there's sort of a reciprocal relationship between reciprocal dignity and wisdom, which is kind of complicated sounding. But um, basically, I am not at all against experts. I think we need experts. And uh, I think it's great for people to dedicate their lives to becoming good at something. Uh, What we often miss in our culture is that when we specialize, we narrow our focus and a narrow focus is good for certain things and not good for other things and so if we're going to have a broader perspective or deeper perception or be able to see things in proportion um, we need the ability to step out of ourselves and see better and often that is through a relationship where we're given something that's outside of ourselves to stretch what we have Or to make it fit more effectively to a particular situation or a particular person so like you were saying before uh with the lorenzo's oil unless there was the passion and scientific knowledge as well as all of the failures and the 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 love of the the sun all those ingredients together are an integration that culminated into a scientific discovery that could help lots of people Um, I think if, you know, if if that man didn't have the passion that came from loving his son and listening to his son, he wouldn't have been able to uh, have the same motivation to pursue that particular scientific discovery if it was just, you know, something that he was doing on his own and was uh, gently curious about. But because of his love, he had a focus that drove him to uh, accomplish what other people may not have. Oh,
1: that's, and that, and I know, um, it, it's very, it, And there's nothing more, nothing more that focuses somebody than, than the child. I think, I mean, from, for a lot of people, um, let's talk a little bit about a walk with lady wisdom and let's talk about, first of all, how you structured the book I, I, as I read, it, it's very, it's in a very interesting structure and, um, um, something that I had to kind of wrap my, um, mind around as I began to read it, but it, there's some real usefulness to it. Talk. Talk about why you structured it the way it is, and 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 you know how somebody should approach reading this book.
0: Well, um, when I researched the way that wisdom was perceived in lots of different cultures, I realized that uh, wisdom often took many forms and not just one. Um, so sometimes it was images, symbols that carried more meaning than just the picture itself. Uh, sometimes it was kind of proverbs or easy-to-remember ideas that could be carried forward and be brought up useful in a moment. Uh, Sometimes it was stories that had rich illustrations. Uh, Sometimes it was letters. um, And sometimes it was long narratives that you had to kind of persist through to get the the deeper meaning. And so um, as I tested out some of these different elements with early readers of the story, I realized certain modes fit different people better than others so there were uh scientists and engineers who read the poetic parts of the stories and were like whoa i don't get this uh and they'd (laughs) read the more technical parts and go whoa this is amazing um and vice versa you know there'd be a mom with a struggling child who would read a story and be very deeply moved and then might read scientific literature applying to their child that they loved um and they would be able to then integrate those so in having these different modes of information delivery woven together into three stories, um, it allowed different people to be hit by different things and um, to not have one mode that would leave a big chunk of people behind.
1: And I think, and, and I really appreciated that you did that. Um, uh, I mean, cause there's some, there is a, there's some beautiful poetry in there um, there, is, there are these kind of long narratives where, where you're getting the story. Um, sometimes it's in um, somewhat first person. Sometimes it's from your perspective. Um, and, um, and then you have um, almost these uh, um, clinical fireside chats, it seems to be, where, where you have a group of people discussing what's going on and, um, and, and, and how it affects them. It's, very, it's really interesting um, to go through.
0: Yeah. One of the challenges um, was there's a fictional piece alongside non-fictional stuff. And there were people who were concerned that you can't put fiction and non-fiction together without compromising them. But um, I wanted to have a a wisdom group that could kind of look at these different um, experiences in the book from a, a larger, higher perspective and kind of Analyze them and find the good in them and pull them out for the rest of us to enjoy. And uh, but it just makes it hard to choose where to put it on the bookshelf um, in a bookstore because right. that's another aspect of our specialized society is that we we want things to fit into a, a nice tidy category and it's harder when you're trying to integrate lots of things together.
1: And that's uh, and so. Probably the best place for people to pick up the book is at your website, ericjepstein.com.
0: Is that That the best place you want them to go? That would be the best because then I can write them a message or sign it. um, But it is also available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Walmart websites as well.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. So, um, yeah, go check it out, ericjepstein.com. And, uh, and. He's got, he's got a blog. He's got some really interesting things happening. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the common elements in the three stories that you have. Um, obviously they're all with women and, and let's, let's discuss that for a second. Um, and you mentioned that, that, you know, a lot of time wisdom is depicted as a woman. Um, why do you think that is? And why did you specifically use women as the, source material for this book
0: that's a great question and it was a little bit challenging at first because i was embarrassed that i'm like why why can i a man think that i should be able to write about women um or what do i know about women uh or uh directly asking my wife like sweetie is it going to be okay with you if i'm you know doing these intense very deep, intimate interviews with a bunch of women. And I was really floored by her answer and it really inspired me to persist. And that was, she said, this is our life ethic to um, to bring out the best in people and put it into practices that are mutual, that endure instead of one-time, one-sided, flash-in-the-pan type things. And so... Um, you know, as I was interviewing people to uh, develop the book, these six women um, had stories that were very powerful to me, even though I was in it with them. And they stood out because I learned from them. And they each gave me important elements of what became my way of doing counseling, and now a team of people's way of doing counseling, because I'm a part of a larger health group and uh, we have used this reciprocal dignity practice uh, to help each other um, and it has grown beyond that to a network of organizations that are beginning to practice um, or are already practicing this type of thing uh, under a different name and we're trying to learn from each other um, and so why the women partly in the beginning it was just because uh, they did the best job of explaining what was going on. Um, that made our counseling relationship something more powerful than just a one-sided relationship. They would explain. I hate to-, to
1: chuckle, but that is so
0: true. <laughs> yeah,
1: as a guy, <laughs> it's 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 hard to open up sometimes.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think what they realized was their recovery was often linked to my recognition of what they were giving me uh, the Mm -hmm. insights that i could see in their stories that i could use to help other people or their strength that would encourage me to want to write about uh, their example on how to overcome a very hard thing um, and their comfort with the idea that our relationship could be very platonic and respectful and still be very strong and beneficial and last beyond the formal meetings, uh, where many of them now are professionals in the field of health and continue to send me things or help me with things. Um, And it's been, you know, instead of just a, hey, good job, see you later, it's been just ongoing gifts uh, to me and to them, and that we keep growing and uh, the relationship continues. Uh, that's that's that is to me that's absolutely beautiful.
1: That is wonderful to see that, you know, that upward cycle, as you call it, continue and continue to grow. Um, um but let's talk a, a little bit about um maybe in general some of the common elements between the the three stories. One of the things that I noticed um is uh in reading the book is 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 some sort of Familial trauma or something interesting, something problematic happening early in life that that really um, continued through their life that that was never really dealt with in in a good way. Would you agree with that? And is that something that that we should be aware of and and really be conscious of?
0: Well, um, the six women mentioned in the book are definitely in a way like archetypes of. The, the main ways that suffering uh, affects people. Um, they, mm-hmm. It's not that there's not other varieties, but these six ways are probably, in my experience, the most common. Um, and a lot of times it does begin early um, because we know that uh, early trauma just affects the whole rest of the life of the person unless it's somehow dealt with and integrated, um, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it can't be something that is just, um, partially dealt with, or it tends to have long-term effects. And and, and, um, and real quick, what does that mean? Like I've heard that
1: before to integrate trauma or to integrate these issues that people have, what does that look like? What does that mean? I, I, I sometimes struggle with, with understanding that.
0: Well, um basically experientially what's confusing about trauma is that it often is rooted in the body even if there's not a physical harm that was done often emotional trauma uh is rooted physically and so we would in the field tend to think talk therapy would help someone and so, and it wouldn't work oftentimes by itself so mm. um for example you know i think a lot of us are used to stories about uh war veterans that would come home and they would hear a firecracker but their body would act like it was a gunshot and they would drop to the ground without having a chance to think about it it was like their their body and brain took over um and essentially what has to happen in order for trauma to move from something stored inside you that governs you and keeps you vigilant and keeps you looking for the next kind of harm that would come and stresses your system. And, uh, on a regular basis, it, it needs to be a physical and mental, um, accommodation that allows the person to see life differently and experience life differently. Um, and so that could involve a combination of, um, treatments or therapies that basically teach the body and the brain that, Uh, The trauma is no longer a persistent present that's always there. It's something in the past that's moved away from. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's it's not the easiest thing to do. It often involves working with multiple people and not just one. And that's part of uh, the challenge of this work is to do it well. You often have to be very attuned to the person in order to see what would be easy to miss as an early success but not really dealing with the whole picture. Oh, that's interesting. That's
1: interesting. Um, anyway, and I, and I interrupted you as you were talking about some of these archetypes and and some of the, um, some of the other, you know, or some of the ways that that these traumas can, I guess, manifest. Is that how you, you, would,
0: yeah. you would say it or? For sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the stories that was pretty powerful for me was um, a young woman who her trauma or her stress expressed as um a a sexual desire um and that's partly because the trauma that she experienced was unstable men that were in her life and some sexual experiences from these men that were disruptive to her and so she became an exotic dancer But it wasn't because she was some bad person. She was actually trying to figure out how to uh, figure out what a safe man was and how to operate in the world so that she wouldn't be stressed out all the time. And the rules of the dancing actually taught her some skills on how to soothe herself. And I had to go, you know, even though I don't think that it is in the long term good for her to do that, I had to not judge that immediately as just bad and try to get her out of it too quickly i had to understand that the rules of that negative experience were helpful for her temporarily so that she could then move on to what was better later
1: it was actually providing a structure something that she could latch onto in a way
0: yeah and there there just were rules on how to do that that taught her how right. to um Feel safe with having a bouncer or somebody to protect her if something went bad, or uh, that she, you know, would be paid very well for her beauty uh, and be appreciated. And, you know, that's really hard stuff to accept when we would just want to go, that's bad. She shouldn't do it. Um, um, and if I had done that too quickly, our relationship would have ended. She needed me to see, she learned some things from it that she needed to carry forward to the next thing. Or our relationship wouldn't have worked.
1: You know that that takes me back to um, that reciprocal dignity that you talked about, um, and and one and and uh, one of the things I thought of, and, and I and I don't mean it to sound too crass or too simplistic. I guess is is it a, a lot of it is learning how to meet people where they're at spiritually mentally physical like learning to to understand where a person is and and um in an, in a very non-judgmental way um I think um Covey said you know people don't care about what you know until they know that you care you know yeah. it, it's that idea that, that 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 I am I'm going to be there for you and I'm they have to more. I mean, it's more than the brain. It's more than, than understanding that, that somebody wants to help them. It's almost a, um, uh, uh, as you said before, it's a physical thing. Like, like I, I do know people that, that will shun people away who are literally trying to help them in every way they know how, but, yeah. but because they're not meeting them where they're at, it, it, it's not being received.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think. One of the things I had to learn as I was reflecting back on these different uh, therapeutic relationships and even informal or familial relationships that had healing components in them, was how to do that because um you know, I think the polarization of our culture uh, in America makes it so that we tend to go to um, one side or the other of liberal or conservative and not be able to um draw upon the good of either one when it comes to right. individuals so you know liberals tend to focus on being accepting accepting is great um that's that non-judgmental stance um conservatives tend to focus on morality and stability and tradition those are great um but either one if they're applied wrongly can help or hurt a person. I mean, can hurt a person if they're applied wrongly. Um, and so, in this situation um, with this particular woman, if I had applied morality too soon, it would have hurt her. Um, she needed to be accepted first. She needed to know that I trusted and cared about her. And she needed to take the good that she had and realize what it was to carry it forward into the next thing. And so, it was this combination of Accepting and inviting her into a higher good that was modeled through the respects that I already offered her and that she offered to me.
1: That's that's wonderful, and and yeah, that is that's a really great thing. And I think, as you know, again, one of the benefits of of having um, these as women is as a you know sometimes as a as a guy. I can be pretty abrupt, you know, I can be pretty like straight, like I see things in a a very different way. And, and, and as I was reading this book, I was realizing even things, you know, with my wife and, and um, my daughter and just trying to think about, you know, how they see it is, is maybe even more real in the sense that, that it doesn't matter what is um, clinically or, 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 exactly right. What matters is how we feel about it or how we deal with something.
0: Yeah. A lot of times I think there are intuitive or emotional parts of relationships that are easy for us to dismiss if we get too focused on the practical or fixing it. Um, Mm, And another great thing where we really need both. Like, Uh, It's great to be connected. That's often the beginning and trust and connection is like the vital bridge to be able to walk it all. Uh, And then you really need to be able to be practical also and tackle the real specific things and do the specific work and practice the specific things to get better. And that's, you know, in the male and the female, there's some things that tend to be there. And if we can honor both, um, and bring both together, we're much more likely to succeed with whatever we're dealing with than if we're assuming one way is the way or uh, one perspective is the right perspective. It's Fantastic. Um, my name is Mike Levitt. I'm with
1: Anda Full of Remains. We are we're talking with Eric J. Epstein. Um, you can find his work at Eric J. Um, we're talking right now about his book, A Walk with Lady Wisdom, which you can find at that website. Um, EricJEpstein.com. Um, Eric, so you mentioned that um, this has kind of turned into um, a health group. It's, it's turned into a um, uh, you know some sort of confederation. Talk about that. Like how how did that happen, and and what what are what's going on with that?
0: Well, um, one thing that struck me as a teacher was that uh, teachers often have to operate in these little fiefdoms these little private circles castles um, on their own and even though they're a part of a school um, it's very very largely alone and for counselors it's often that way too where because of confidentiality and because they're you're typically meeting with one or two people um it can feel pretty isolating and what's gained is often hard to share inside the structures that are typical for our culture and so um as i started to develop this passion for wisdom i realized i needed to break out of those limitations and uh really uh share what i had and um invite others to share what they had and begin weaving it together into things that were deeper and broader than i could collect on my own um and so um in for many years i've been working with teams and they've often been ones that um, i have helped pull together because i just was so passionate about wanting to work with other people and um, so i have a health team that i work with called the trusted health network um, and a consulting group called wisdom lab um, and a lot of informal circles of people that are really about taking these deep things that underlie a lot of our life uh, from a health, from a spiritual, from a educational perspective and trying to go, okay, how do we take what we've been given or what we've found in our experiences and weave them together into things that are bigger than what we can have on our own? And I just think that's the way to go. That's the way to wisdom. Wisdom is often relationally cultivated uh, by a mentor to a mentee or uh, through powerful experiences with people who impact us, it's uh, wisdom is not something that we tend to get just by reading in isolation or just by being um, a specialist in a particular area. That tends to be information and knowledge, um, but not necessarily the, the the broader impact and the more powerful wisdom.
1: So, so would you? I mean, like I might make an assertion that that um, wisdom it has to be. Um, experiential like you have to experience it in order to gain it or you have to at least um have a can like it, it can be found in isolation like as you said you can't just it, it doesn't just come from on high <laughs> you know you don't just like it, it has to you have to kind of work through it and make it um you know uh, see it in action i don't know i don't know if that
0: that makes sense or not Yeah, Um. in in the book, uh, I talk about it as um, it needs to be embodied. And Mm, there you um, go. And I think that that's both true in the fact that it needs to be expressed through a person. um, And it also needs to be embodied in terms of it being received relationally or offered relationally. Um, Because I could tell you a bunch of words uh, that would be good information. But if it's amplified by our relationship and how I know what would fit you, Mike, extra well, and, and part of that is that I care about you and want to offer you the best of what I have, the information quality just goes way up and the impact on you goes way up. And so what wisdom offers is that, that broader sight, that deeper sight that allows us to have more powerful re- relational connections that can then cultivate better information, better understanding, better connection. And that's what changes us and makes us able to um, have what we call wisdom when we approach specific situations.
1: And, and we've been talking about um, wisdom and these ideas in a, in a very much individual basis, but how does that affect a community, an organization, you know if if somebody buys into or or if a group of people buy into into this concept like what what have you seen happen
0: well there's a a organization i've been working with for a while that i really love called project i see you and they uh began as a women's organization and um they were helping in the dominican republic uh people who had been affected by disasters there and um what was striking to me um, as i got to know them was that they were overt about the fact that they gained as much from these dominican people as much as they were offering to them and uh, i was drawn to that because um, a lot of helping organizations and relief organizations will accidentally create dependency or uh, transfer american values Um, as opposed to really develop mutually beneficial relationships. And so uh, as I began to work with Project ICU, I watched them uh, start to integrate men because they were empowering women in these different communities and men were being affected by these empowered women. Uh, They were sometimes being left out because these stronger, more healthy women were taking places That they thought they were supposed to be. And so rather than the women saying, Hey, sorry, men, we don't deal with you, we're a women's organization, (laughs) they said, Hey, the impact of our work is affecting these men. I guess we're now about men. And so they became about uh, cultivating community. And um, that created more reciprocal cycles where the people who were helping and the people who were being helped changed hats at different times. And uh, these Communities created mutually beneficial cycles that allowed learning to be very deep. And so they then started um, a home for women who'd experienced homelessness in downtown Denver. And through various partnerships and relationships, what they'd learned um, in their own lives and in helping these Dominican women was coming back to help um, in the United States in a way that they couldn't have done had they not done that work previously.
1: Oh, that's wonder that I love that story. Um, and, and, I. I really think that we underestimate the power that, um, let me put it a different way when, when we're struggling or when we're, when we're hurting, um, I don't think we, I I don't think we realize the amount of good we can do by allowing others to help us and allowing others to serve us and really you know that that building on that strength, um, how that how that incorpor- incorporated can can build on a whole community, and 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 when we look at things in that way, I think um, when we see and again, this comes from a guy's perspective, you know, if if I'm out of work or if I'm struggling or if I, if I have a problem, a lot of times that is seen as a weakness on my part. Um, when the reality is that's just an opportunity for somebody else who might be stronger in that area to, to build me up and, and together we become a much stronger community.
0: Yeah. One of the themes of, um, the book was the, the ability to give and receive good because, um like you're saying you know i think pride will often make us go hey i guess i just have to suffer cuz if i can't lift myself up then it, it's not going to be done cuz i don't want to receive help from other people um mm-hmm. but really you know if we are cultivating the ability to fill ourselves so that we have more to give and then we do give it's that's what really a reciprocal cycle is made of is going I have to allow other people into my life to strengthen and build me up so that when I hit hard times, it doesn't mean that that's a reflection on my character. That means that I now have something in my story that I can then offer. If I learn how to persist through that hard time and gain from it what can be gained, I now have a bit of wisdom to offer somebody who might experience something similar. And if people can help me in that process, then it's, it's as if I have even more to give because just doing it on my own is one form of strength, but to be able to say, Hey, here's what did it for me. I received these different things from different people. This worked, this didn't, this part was really great. And now I can have more specific experiences to offer to the next person I run into.
1: Oh, that's, I, that's exactly, that's fantastic. I I love that. Bit. And that is wisdom. I mean, that just that idea is wisdom. Um, I, it's fantastic. I want to talk a little bit about your upcoming book, um, The Chameleon and the Eagle. Um, t- tell me what. Um, why did you decide to write another book and, and uh, what, what's this all about?
0: Well, I think it's a little bit of my rebellious self um, going into a different genre because I like to explore different things and uh, in the industry of writing, you're supposed to kind of stay in one genre and just do it over and over again, um, but I can't do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I like I, how you think. <laughs> I uh, well, I love children, and uh, I think a lot of times uh, we dumb down children's books so that uh, they don't feel accessible to adults. And so I would think th- of this as a tale for all ages even though it has things for children for sure Um, and it just deals with this theme of flexibility and solidness uh, which are both vital in people and it's the story of this powerful eagle who is the embodiment of strength and values and ethics and uh, this small chameleon who has the ability to change colors and flex with lots of situations and connect with lots of different kinds of people. And, uh, at first they don't like each other. Um, and they're kind of compelled to interact. Um, and it's tense because the chameleon thinks he's going to get eaten. Um, and they have to work out how to be something together. And it's in that bit of the story that I think is the most beautiful pieces that we might need right now, because, so much is yeah. polarized and so often it's hard for us to look at people who are different than us and go, how do we actually do the work of coming together? It's nice to say we should, but how can it actually happen?
1: Well, I think that's that's particularly true right now. Um, yeah, we're, we're speaking today, it's, it's November 3rd of 2020. And not only have we gone through a, a pandemic and all kinds of crazy things are going on in the world, but today is election day. And, and as we get closer to election day, I mean, all I hear are straw man arguments from both sides. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely just, you know, um, one side's Hitler and the other side's Stalin and, and there's just nothing in between. And the idea that, that, that we both on, whether it's political ideas, whether it's, um, uh, um, different genders, whether it's, you know, different ideas in general, like, like it, not everything is, is, uh, in the, in the world of ideas is, is not a binary thing. Um, when, if we can't come together and, and learn from each other, um, you know, I think that that's a, that's a story that needs to be heard more right now.
0: Yeah. The, uh, there's a blog story that I just wrote to try to illustrate that point and to kind of show how reciprocal dignity can be applied to seemingly impossible differences. And uh, in that story, uh, I'm teaching a class on ethics, and there's half the class is pro-life and half the the class is pro-choice. and uh, I think I'm gonna die because they're gonna kill each other and I'm gonna get fired. And um, I think there's no way uh, to have this discussion and have it go well, but I, I, you know I work really hard to try to find what I can and to set the stage for understanding and Uh, I'll go ahead and and spoil part of it and say that uh, one question is found that brings both sides together and makes them want to work together to develop a clinic that would reduce abortion in the United States. And their ideas are brilliant because they honor women and they reduce abortion, And then both sides are happy and they want to work together and they don't have to spend millions of dollars to fight. Um, And, you know, it seems like that's impossible, but this group of students accomplished what maybe a lot of people couldn't imagine could be done. That,
1: that is a great story. I I did read that on your blog. I'd encourage everybody to go read that because it is a story of, um, you know, how people with desperate, disparate disparate I don't know I think I made up a word um ideas can come together and find something that um you know that that they you know if you can find one thing that that um we can agree on you know th- we can build on that as long as there's one thing to, we can agree on, agree on we can build on that and build something so that that's a great story
0: I was encouraged um, because I didn't think that in our polarized environment that people would be drawn to stories like that, but, uh, it, that one in particular is getting a lot of interest and um, that, that that's so hopeful for me that, uh, maybe one of the outcomes of weariness with polarization is that people will hunger for, uh, constructive dialogue and the ability to listen well, and the ability to find ways to heal from the wounds that have come from, um, this hard time. Oh yeah. You know, it's interesting.
1: I was, um, just the other day, um, in fact, in, in the in my last uh, podcast, I was talking to Doctor Elias Pedersen. We were talking about um, musicians and musicianship, and one of the things he talked about was how um, he thought it was so important for everybody to to learn music at a high level. <laughs> and the reason why it was interesting is because it, it allowed people to become um, self critical to be to be able to look at what they're doing, not take it personally. And, um, and, and, and look at things that they're doing wrong and that they can improve upon. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot, a lot of truth to that, 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 um, you know, as long as, you know, we can get to the point, um, where we can look at our weaknesses, um, or, or, things that, that maybe we don't even agree with, but, but we can, we can look at things from a more analytical or, or, or in a way that, that can allow us to improve without taking things personally. That would be such a beautiful thing
0: yeah step uh music is amazing for helping us step out of ourselves and if you're learning some new thing like music that is so rich and lets you for a time not be so personally affected by whatever um, you get to be informed by like a whole nother language um right and i have a, a dear friend that went to uh Russia when the wall had just come down and and he was standing outside the gulags and uh was interviewing people who were coming out of these terrible horrific prisons and saying you know why did you survive when so many people died and uh, one of the things that was consistently mentioned was dark humor and you <laughs> know, in some ways you know that's that's like music you know like it takes us out of ourselves in a way that like humor does or like dark humor does in dark times yep. to go okay this suffering isn't everything we don't have to hyper focus on differences and fears there are bigger things at play here that can give us peace and comfort and that's where mm-hmm. we need to put our focus so that we don't dwell on what can tear us apart oh that's that's beautiful and and um I think that's probably a good place that we
1: can leave it. I'm talking with Eric J. Epstein. I've really enjoyed the conversation. He's the author of two books, A Walk with Lady Wisdom, and the upcoming The Chameleon and the Eagle. When when will that book be coming out?
0: That should be released in one week if all goes according to plan. So that'll be available on the website and also on Amazon.
1: All right, so go check it out at ericjepstein.com. Thank you, Eric. I really enjoyed the conversation and, and and I hope we can do it again. It's been a lot of fun for me. Thanks, Mike. I hope so, too. I've really enjoyed it as well. Great, great. So this is And If Love Remains. You guys, you you can check us out at uh, www.andifloveremains.com. Um, we do have a merch site, but th- the most important thing that you can do if you find these ideas helpful, if you think that this... Um, if the work that Eric is doing is, is important, can be helpful to somebody else, pass it along, share it with, share it with people, share it with your friends. You don't know who needs to hear this stuff. So um, thank you again, Eric, for being on the show. This is And If Love Remains.